we really got the confidence and success when we got like largest enterprise through PH. They tried different competitors. If they came self-served, signed up, they were excited and they talked to our support and just moved forward into an enterprise. The conversation was so faster and easier with us. So a validation success for us was really to understand that we can get a big enterprise, a 40, 50 year old company in this market and B2B space come PLG after talking to all the competitors and still come and choose mm -hmm. us. It was a great success validation saying that PLG is here and what we're building is right. I mean, if you say you don't make a mistake in your onboarding journey and you lose conversions, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you have to make mistakes and learn. Welcome to Thrivecast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We have Nalin Sentamil with us today. We're going to talk about StoryLane's unique journey to build and adapt to PLG. To all the listeners who have not seen or heard, Nalin, I'm going to go give a quick introduction. Nalin has been a serial entrepreneur for quite some time. He's worked at various startups before. He's also worked and built a couple of startups. The last one he did was Kinderline, which was acquired by Procare. And recently he's been with his partner, with his co-founder, Akshay. He went ahead and registered and started building StoryLane. I found Nalin through a friend, through another podcast guest who had recently joined us a couple of months back. And what was very unique about Nalin's story is what I'm trying to bring into the fore today. Nalin's been building StoryLane since 2021. He's built a unique product, which is completely PLG focused as opposed to the much of the industry around the interactive demos, which is not very PLG focused. So that's what the unique effects about what Nalin had built. So I thought we should bring that to the fore. So, Nalin, welcome to Thrivecast. Thank you. Thanks so much, Guraj. Thanks for the great introduction and happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. A pleasure to host you. So, Nalin, um, maybe if you could, to our listeners, could you give us a little bit of background of what was the inspiration behind StoryLane and why did you and Akash start the journey of building StoryLane? No, for sure. And a little bit of context will be needed. So, a little background. So, I've, as you mentioned, so this is my second company. I've been in startups for the last... Uh, 12, 13 years now. And my first journey started literally with, I'm a very tech person, so started as an engineer, started on a, uh, AR. Mm -hmm. And uh, being an engineer, you're building things and then led into after that, like when I joined Akash and the second company was Kinderline, very product focused. And we were building a PLG company there as well in early education market. One of the challenges with that was like when we start talking to customers, mm -hmm. selling product and showing product was always like we ran into, hey, how do we showcase the best version of this product? And people didn't understand it, even if they had the free sign up and to try it out. As we progressed through and that got acquired and went through the motions, and then that was the time with COVID. We were thinking of what's next. Being an entrepreneur, it's all about what's next. And you're thinking once, once it's done, what is the next big problem that we see? And we look back and saw one of the big challenges we had always was when we started talking to people was how best to describe the product? What is the best way for them to show the product? And they always wanted to see, hey, do you have another version of the product? What these use cases and different use cases? So we felt like on people needs to be educated right from the time when they come to the websites, they start engaging with the product. Today, the B2B buying is changing a lot, right? So like people just don't look at the product. They want to talk to the communities and everything. But the core of everything is like listening, seeing the product, getting a feel of the product itself. And in fact, hey, we got to bring out these kind of products, make it like a sandbox for people to try it. And it's not like the full feature of the product, but exactly what they're interested in. So that's where we started brainstorming during the COVID. And then we resulted in starting the company, StoryLane. And we, we, we just had an idea of what to do with that. And then we went through YC. We applied. And then we said, mm -hmm. before we got into YC, then all, let's build the product. And we started building the product and the foray into StoryLane. Started from marketing. 
and now then moved into more into sales we started learning about a lot of different use cases not just from marketing but every touch point customers like prospects need to get a value of the product and we started moving from there in the marketing into more into sales so both marketing and sales segment through like product demos interactive demos and in different use cases within them as well. So Nalin, I think, yeah, thanks for the introduction there. So to the listeners, maybe Nalin, if you could give maybe high level pitch on what is Storylane. Mm-hmm. And I know you touched upon interactive demos, but how did you get to interactive demos? What was the inspiration to touch upon interactive? What was the problem that you were trying to solve in the very first place? Yeah. So when we started out, as I mentioned in the previous from Kindle Lime, so the challenge we felt was like, whenever you talk to buyers, there's a lot of friction. The friction is basically like to buy or sell software. There's a huge friction in terms of you have to go talk to a salesperson and go through the whole motion of like discoveries, getting to get a sneak peek of it. And the whole process takes a lot of time. We strongly believe this whole B2B buying will change. It will become more and more like how a digital buying for B2C happens today, right? People will come and see the product, check out. So there is a huge gap in there. And if you look at back in history, like, B2B buying has been like very old school and it's been changing. And if you look into the next 10 years, what's going to happen is PLG is one way of like people trying it out. But at the same time, people need to get a sense of it to see the product. So our pain point what we solve is like, how do we help buyers so that they're able to get a feel of what the product is? And at the same time, the sellers so that they can show the best version of the product to literally make it easy and frictionless, right? The whole buying. That's our vision of making that. And that's the core of what we started building and Storyline is all about today. So. Yeah, I have an industry report ahead of me here. I'm seeing that Trust Radius did mm. a survey for B2B buyers, I think last year right. or end of last year. And they had sent, they had built this particular report saying that the patterns of the B2B buyers have changed significantly. So PLG or a self-service is about 40, 45% of the customers are really wanting to do um, self-serve. But for larger enterprise deals, interactive demos seem to be an upcoming trend, at least at the end of 2020. Do you see that trend becoming more and more prominent? Or do you see the trend shifting more towards the larger enterprise deals needing to have interactive demos? Or do you see the trend to be in the SMB space, especially maybe the users wanting to go try it out and then the sellers or the buyers want to have conversation. What do you see in the market out there? Great question. So I think, uh, yes, the trust rate is report is absolutely true in terms of how people want that. That's basically they want to touch and feel the product itself, right? So in terms of market segments, we are a little uniquely positioned to talk about it because yeah. of our PLG motion also. We see it in all of them, right? So definitely a lot in enterprises because the enterprise sales motion is longer, right? And in terms of the different touch points being involved itself and different use cases being covered. Definitely a big value in terms of the timeline to close your enterprise deals shrinking instead of actually trying to build out different environments tests and getting all the stakeholders aligned. When you talk about mid-market and small segment also, what we are really seeing in even the startups and small segments is people just don't want a very passive engagement through videos. They want to give them access to the product very early. So it becomes more and more like a marketing use case because your sales Mm -hmm. cycle is shorter. So then what happens in the GTM takes over a lot and they want to drive demand and engagement for them to show your product. Because in every product like in B2B today, you will see multiple product lines exist. And the people who are actually being open, giving knowledge to the buyers is basically what they trusted. And the buyers need to build trust. And that only happens through seeing your product and touching. So that's where we're seeing a lot on even the startups in the mid-market definitely uh, taking up as well. So I see it pretty distributed. 
mm-hmm. but more on enterprise in mid and startups are more and more adopting it and starting to showcase the product a lot nowadays definitely got it so you're latching on to the upcoming trend of interactive demos are a good way so are you seeing that interactive demos is what the user want to try it out first and if they're interested they will go ahead and sign up to the product meaning that's a self-serve portion of it is that what you see out there in the market wherein anyone who's looking for a product mm-hmm. will probably search on google or bing or whatever the search engine might be they land up to let's say uh, on a specific product or a tool that they're trying out and instead of clicking on the try now button which is essentially the self-serve would you <coughs> see that the self-service competing with the interactive demos or is that let's say you have a marketing website that the SaaS product has mm-hmm. and let's say there are two CTAs one for try now versus check out the demo right or something of that so are they competing with each other for the clicks or do you see the prominent one is the interactive demos and the secondary CTA is probably the try now what do you see out there yeah so great so there are two types right the companies have a different GTM right one is hey how do I do PLG completely mm-hmm. where we have signups and the other is completely sales, right? Yeah. Book a demo comes in. So what we are seeing is there is a huge value in both the type of cases. Yeah. And what we define and educate our customers through our playbooks today is like, how do you structure your demos differently to drive those kind of engagement? Yeah. So let's take an example, like a sales set. When you have a book a demo, there is a lot of friction to go through the process. Interactive demo works like a great charm. So because they get to sneak of what the product does itself there and either through a landing page where they come in they search on your google they come in or they land on a website through different mediums right you search and then you have a getting an understanding people start putting like a demo center like a gallery mm-hmm. of demos so they understand what different parts of the features are doing before they want to engage in sales now you get really more qualified people there when you talk to uh, a salesperson there and at the same time when they are engaging we already give those kind of insights to sales before they come in what they engage with so the salesperson is also more knowledgeable in terms of conversation he's having. Now in sales-led motion, this is huge and turning a sales-led into PLG is a huge uptaking because it's a mindset, right? You have built your product, complexities come in. How do you become PLG? It's a great segue for them to show the product early. Now that's one set where it's a huge mm-hmm. uptake would be seen. The second is what I was saying is be product-led, right? I come into a website, I have a try for free sign up. Now, it, there is a huge value here because people not just sign up for every website they want to go in because there's a lot of noise emails you get in terms of every sign up. Like every category has many different versions. So people are less interested to sign up everything. They want to consume the content first before even signing. Now, you want to provide that kind of context to prospects and buyers coming into your website. And that's where we see interactive demos being usually valuable, even for PLG companies. Even before you sign up, you want to show value to them, show them like, hey, what your product can offer them and give a clear indication of what this will do. Drive them into sign up rather than a lead magnet there. Mm. It's more like driving them into a sign up. It's a different way of putting your product out there, but definitely both the use cases. And the second we what we have discovered again, this category has been there for three years. What we have learning from our customers is even for PLG. They love to see the engagement have people have on the website. It's not mm-hmm. like bounce rates, how much time they're spending on the website, even for people. Like the more the time they spend consuming your content, the more inclined they are to sign up, come back to you and everything. So PLG has different sets of metrics and all trying to sign them up. Got it. So, so we see like, a lot of adoption yeah. that way. So it looks like I'm trying to reduce and summarize what you just said, primarily for the benefit of the listeners. 
using that the interactive demos has a value both on the PLG first company as well as the SLG first company, as well as any companies which are doing both the hybrid motions. Uh, you're also saying that interactive demos is probably one of the highly valued contents mm-hmm. which helps the SaaS builders gauge their visitors' interaction with the website and stay there rather than just reading some blogs or some of the videos about something else. Interactive demos are probably a lot more latched on to help them understand how they can uniquely solve the problem. But let me maybe take one or two steps back. As you were building this particular product, you've been at this for the last maybe one and a half, maybe two plus years or so. Two years. Interactive demos was just beginning to knock on the door. Uh, Very recently, I see that Gartner has started to rave about interactive demos as a way to go PLG first or SLG first in both the cases you need about it. What made you choose to build story lane with the PLG first approach. You could have gone the SLG first approach, just like most of your competitors were. Most of mm-hmm. your competitors, not to name them on this call, but some of them were much larger than you as you were starting to build. They didn't have PLG, they didn't have self-service, but yet you went ahead and started making your product much more self-service aware from day one. What made you and, and Akash to think about PLG first approach? and have that part and parcel of your first value proposition to the product itself? So there are a few reasons why, right? So I'll tell you, like, firstly, I mean, for PLG, we were very clear from day one when we started, it will be a PLG. I'll tell you why we started with the mindset, always PLG. It starts with two few things, right? One is you like how you think about product. I'm a very product person myself, so we always know PLG is what will take over in terms of every product. Like if you look back into vision of what we want to make buying and selling, easy and painless and for us it's to go against and say non-plg and sales led so our goal is to make this faster and easier mm-hmm. to make this easier and faster is your product being plg to be leading that way compared to anybody else in this market who is not doing that so we like to lead that way clearly being a plg and also it comes with like being the founder mindset right we are always thinking plg we are always being like product driven that way so it was very clear for us from day one what we are solving was very clear in terms of shrinking the buying, selling, like making it easy. So it has to be PLG. And our mindset is also about best ways to showcase the product. And we are coming from a product background. The third also is when you start looking at it in the next 10 years, right? And how is this going to evolve? And we want to start thinking in that direction from day one, right? It Once you become very sales oriented and sales, it's very hard to mindset to shift into product. When you start mm-hmm. ingraining in your company, the employees, with the customers, hey, this is how you're going to build from day one. It helps for you to succeed correctly in step-by-step direction. So we're very clear on that when we started itself. But again, once we started, it's not like we went PLG from day one. So we know we want to be PLG. But there are steps to be more better PLG. So we started PLG mindset and designs and how we built the product itself, but still gated it to get the feedback, the validation. Mm. Any founder will have to go through the first nine months or six months, depending on when you know, right? After you've got enough data sets and validations from your customers, it's time to open it up. So we took time in the first, I would say the first year, we were very careful before opening it up because we wanted to be sure we're doing it right. So that one year we kept it, but again, we built the product thinking always PLG. Got it, got it. I think that probably helps. It's usually products reflect the DNA of the founders. So you probably had the DNA with your previous company to start building towards it. So let me ask, we'll fast forward from the decision that you have made a decision now that yeah. to go the PLG route and started building basic things and you probably did some wait list or some kind of gate check to not 
uh, allowed the entire world to start signing up. How did you go about doing it? What were your experiences uh, implementing PLG? What's the order in which you build your product? You said that you had a gate yeah. and it's uh, probably a gate that you will talk to some of the customers and let them in through the gate. Was it a wait list that you built first? How did you go about doing it? Yeah, so initially when we launched, we went through YC. So when we launched, of course, we got a lot of feedback from YC batchmates and everybody, yeah. right? Again, that is one set of, with YC, we understood that there's a lot of startups. We get feedback yeah. from startups, right? Correct. That's one set of feedback. You have to start putting them in buckets. Who are you getting the feedback? So for us, it was all about, when I say gating also, it was like gating it from not signing up. They have to talk to us initially. So we get that feedback and we let them try the product and watch what they're doing, recording it, and understanding, getting that feedback. Those little insights are important. We use some analytics to collect some data as well around that, we'll talk more about it. So also when we start talking to customers, in the full nine months, we spoke to large number of sets, like thousands of people at least we've spoken to, to make sure like your pattern matching, right? It's very important in your head, you start pattern matching. And it comes a little bit from like the DNA also, right? You start pattern matching in your head when you hear a call itself. So we started putting them into what we hear from startups, what we hear from mid-stage companies, what we hear from some enterprise customers. We also knew what we are offering. If it's PLG, how do we go from a startup offering that they can succeed with this? At the same time, how do we go into a mid-stage or even enterprises, right? So it's not like you build PLG, we're building PLG across. So we wanted to get that kind of feedback mm, from different segments it. as well. So we start pattern matching, gating it. We didn't really have a waitlist since we didn't do the waitlist because we got that kind of waitlist feedback from a YC batch in some ways. Correct, correct. So we felt like we could peel that off and go straight into gated, sign up, book a demo, right? Traditional way of doing it. And we had to bite it because we hated it. But to be PLG, we need the data and to do it right. So we had to put a book a demo and talk to us. And that's how people came, talk to us. And during the process, again, pattern matching is important. Understanding like what's making sense in the product when they sign up. We give them, like initially we onboarded them, then you reduce your onboarding, understand whether they're self-onboarding, where they're getting stuck at. And that those are the details you start identifying and then continue to iterate on the product. One of the things that we did was like when we started, the first person we hired was a designer, right? Not mm. an engineer, nobody, right? Because in PLG, the most important is like the people have to understand what the product is offering in the five, five minutes. Otherwise, they're not going to come back to you. So the value prop comes in the first five minutes to see, am I able to get something out of it, right? People's attention are less. So we start, that's why our thinking was like that, right? When we started building the company, we first had the designer because we know it needs to be right and it need, takes its time and iterations. So that's the kind of mindset comes in. That's how you iterate through it as well. So yeah, to answer your question, we did in batches with startups, mid-stage and enterprises and started getting them on calls. Me and Akash both did the calls, start understanding the call recording pattern matching understanding and then went through the process. Got it. So as you went through this particular process and you opened up the gates, like let's say you have, you went beyond the book or demo and started mm -hmm. making it, hey, sign up to the product, pretty much ungate. At that time, did you implement know your customers? Uh, how did you know who are the people who are signing up? Initially, when you have a book, a demo, you would probably qualify them. You'll understand that their background. You know about the company that they're working for. You understand the needs. But when you open it up, how did you get to know about who are these customers? Who are these users? Do they have a need? Are they just wasting your computer resources? To get? How did you start qualifying whether these are the right people to use your product or not? Yeah. So one thing is like you have those, when you open it up, you have some qualifying questions a little bit, right? So in terms of when you sign up, you want to make it frictionless 
to sign up but at the same time you can't like completely ignore the fact that you're not asking anything because mm. you want to qualify them so we made frictionless to sign up through google sign up with very easy ways to get in but we asked the questions what are you here for in terms mm-hmm. of what do you want to accomplish through swirling what use case you're thinking so that kind of makes them think am i the wrong person here it's like a first set of filtering what do we solve what are you looking to right it's a very simple question so that gives them the mindset thinking like okay i'm here to build a product tour for my marketing or for my sales use case ask those basic questions about it and we try to understand like how many people sign up finish those questions and then after that our product works because you build demos through chrome extension and we know from there like how many people are serious about installing a chrome extension hmm. so 100% of people coming in how many people fill the questionnaire from there how the cohort comes down right how many are installing an extension now once you install extension what do we do we try to find out do they record a demo that's the next cohort comes mm-hmm. how many of them are recording a demo previewing what they're doing uh, editing it and then comes in how many are publishing your demo so that's the way it is and after publishing them how many of them are clicking on upgrade option or talk to us option right that's another set of yeah. so we start breaking it down understanding where they are and for us what matters is people who have installed the extension after that we know we need to start looking at that segment of customers and again we use like other enrichments to understand the company size where they are coming from to add on to what they have signed up the user signed up with his email we know if they're big company small company and like lead score to reach out to them so if somebody doesn't install an extension then it's a product problem go improve our plg part the onboarding so we start segmenting that way. okay so let me i'm trying to summarize it in my head you allowed ungated signups you did some kind of enrichment to know who the users are who the potential companies they work for you charted a course for the customer journey maybe hypothesis in the beginning that hey they sign up they do step 1 they do step 2 they might install a chrome extension and various other things so essentially a customer journey that you crafted you started measuring and tracking usage associated with that journey is that right to say that is correct okay. we tried to uh, build that cohort and did you use any tools for any of these or did you build yes. it yourself for analytics to build that cohort we use heap heap okay. for analytics to understand how many are doing this and again it helped us because we wanted less engineering and Got we want to be wise about it so that helped us get the cohort what about the customer journey did you implement that customer journey or was it more of your own whiteboarding and then your own designers and so did you use a third party tool or was it in house it is in house it's more comes from your own thinking of what the ideal flow should look like first you start with your intuition then get the feedback from your customers what's working what's not working two steps three we have gone through many iterations on this we felt like this is what we land on and then that's how we came through it yeah i'm sure there'll be many iterations <laughs> because customer yes. journeys are pretty complex what about the enrichment did you use a third party provider automatically do the enrichment as they sign up or did you have a manual somebody is actually looking up all the signups and click and reach each of them how did you go about doing it yeah so we didn't it's semi automated today we hope to get it all fully automated it's semi automated the way i would say it is we get the data we get into a hubspot as a crm somebody comes in the data goes into our intercom we get the data intercom because we immediately have all the data in intercom so support and anybody who's talking to them get to know where the status is right away right okay. within the next couple of minutes after the signed up and now we also send to hubspot with all the information that we need okay. hubspot sends it to apollo and apollo gives the enrichment so we have all these tie-ins so now somebody can go to apollo get to know who it is sort them through the enrichment list as well so that's basically how our stack is today intercom gets this information 
And from a sales perspective, somebody needs to follow up on the account management. So we get through the pull on spot there. So we split that into yeah. once somebody signs up, think of two way paths it goes. Once sales comes in, support also has the data. That's pretty advanced. You probably started on the very advanced route around <laughs> knowing your customers, enrichment, using automation with HubSpot and Apollo or probably even Clearbit if you, yeah. if you have to. That's great. So at what point in time did you say that, hey, now is a good time for StoryLane to now have free plans or some kind of a pricing plans? What was your pricing plan strategy? As you build the self-serve motions, and I see on your website, you have quite a bit of transparent pricing as well. So how did you get there? Yeah, point. So I think we have a, even a free version, right? Free version to build a demo. The reason we started seeing like a lot of startups and early stage companies also wanted to show, I think earlier you asked me. And for us, the, the very nature of interactive demos and product demos has a virality network effect to it. People share it. So for us, it was very clear, if you're looking in the long-term picture, we want to empower as many companies as possible in the early stage to build this and see value through it. And that's the reason why we went free version. They're able to get a sneak peek, build this with a PLG model, so they're able to do it. The moment they start talking about integration, I need these leads coming in, I need analytics coming in, I need more interactivity. That's where we split the pricing into. You can start with something and then you have to go into the next stage of the pricing plan so that they can go into the growth tier and where they can self-serve themselves or they talk to us into the growth tier. We look at the free version as a PLG, a starter version for startup plans to come in, build as many of this using campaigns and everything, more like a completely self-serve. And the pricing was dictated primarily through features and users, right? If they start mm. collaborating, having multiple teams use it, then we dictated our pricing based on those two criteria itself. And again, free is something that we debated a lot, whether we give it free or not. Every PLG company will go through that. And I think for us, it was simple. The not start for us was we want to make as many companies as possible to use interactive demos to reduce this friction. Then we don't want to create like early stage companies to be barrier to it or for people to try it without having a free. For us, given what we want to achieve out of it, we felt like giving a demo free will be the right way. Got it. So could you share your thoughts on how did you experiment with pricing? Many of your competitors do not have transparent pricing. And yours was a very different business than theirs. Theirs was more of a SLG business and yours is more of a PLG business. So how did you go about figuring out what's the right usage model? And did you do any experiments with your plans? Did you do any kind of conversion analysis on this is working well, that's not working well? How did you go about locking down to some kind of a good enough pricing plans to begin with? Yeah, so I think we, we did experiment. And then I would say not as much as we did in the PLG part. And some part actually saw us like, when you start thinking about pricing, it's driven through competition, driven through what the usage looks like and everything. We came up with the model of we have four different plans. And free, I, I mentioned, like we, we want to empower as many. Then the starter one, what we realized is we, we still want them to pay and commit to it. It's a self-serve. And we want to focus a lot on small segment of the customers, startups and anybody who, who's self-serve and want to put a demo on the websites. For them, we wanted to start with a lower end version. So that's where our startup plan is at the lower end of the price point. And we didn't experiment much on the startup plan. So we felt the pricing we took out is after talking to a few customers and experimenting what they're willing to pay for, testing it out, right? That's a classic way of doing it. Basically, like you like a customer, but at the end of the day, unless you don't swipe a credit card and pay for it, it's not really, right? <laughs> they're enjoying it. So we experimented a few pricing options there and we felt like we landed on something where we were able to put conversions and we went through that. Now, the growth is where we spent more time on and growth comes with at a higher price tier for us. 
And we also wanted to know what level of customers we get there, right? The quality. We also didn't want to get the lower end of the customers who may not see a value at that stage. So that's where our pricing tier is slightly higher from a starter to a growth tier. And it comes with more deeper integrations with your marketing stack. Companies that are have like a marketer's paradox and a good marketing stack, like full-fledged sales teams and everything. And we experimented with the lower pricing and we felt like companies will need to have a minimum set of seats. We also went through that process. So we give minimum five seats to collaborate because that's when we saw a good value through it. Again, in terms of how we identified, it's like the first year when we spoke to thousands of customers, when we start pattern matching, we start startups, mid-stage and enterprises, we start grouping them. We asked this question about pricing that led us to feel like when we launched PLC, we could put the pricing on tag there. So it all comes from talking to customers and spending a good amount of time the first year and helped us identify those. But definitely we spent a lot of time on growth tier. We experimented with seats, we experimented with features, but we were clear that people were willing to spend that money. Like uh, our growth is 500. So very clear that people were willing to spend for these are the type of features they wanted to go with. So we kept the pricing there and we wanted to move few needles like user seats and features around. Got it. I know we are running out of time, but could you maybe share any failed experiments that you've had during your journey till date? I know you experimented with pricing plans, at least at the growth levels. You didn't serve experiments at the self-serve levels. Could you share maybe one or two, maybe very quickly if you can, about any failures or any learnings, any big learnings that you have from this journey till now? I'll tell you some success, like big learnings, because we also target enterprise customers. And as you mentioned, some of the competitors taking sales, that we had this question, right? Everybody, when you, as you go through the motion, you'll have this question. We really got the confidence and success when we got like largest enterprise through PLG. They tried different competitors or tried them. They came self-serve, signed up. They were excited and they got on a talk to our support and just moved forward into an enterprise. The conversation was so faster and easier with us. So a validation success for us was really to understand and we can get a big enterprise, a 40, 50 year old company in this market and B2B space come PLG after talking to all the competitors and still come and choose Mm -hmm. us. It was a great success validation saying that PLG is here and what we're building is right. Thinking long term, we know we're in the right direction. And I would call out that as a big success. That's a validation that you'll see. In terms of failures, the failures basically for us is like in your whole model of going to PLG itself, we made a lot of mistakes in the onboarding. You have to, if you say you don't make a mistake in your onboarding journey and you lose conversions, you're not doing it right. (laughs) You have to make mistakes and learn. And what we made a mistake was we didn't have a tool like Heap initially. We took a long time to bring in a tool like Heap or analytics to measure it. We were going a lot with intuition and thinking, hey, we've done PLG before. I think we know it. But every industry, every market, when you start thinking PLG, it's a little bit different. So we made a mistake in the initial few months, six months, and then we cross-corrected it. That's something we probably could have fixed it earlier, but that's what I would say, one of the things that we didn't do right initially. Got it, got it. Compliments to you and your founding team to be able to go experiment with so many iterations as you go forward. And to the listeners, StoryLane has deals for you. So there's a 20% off for the first year for StoryLane with the promo code, which you'll have as for the show notes. Again, thank you, Nalin, for joining us for this particular podcast. Wish you all the success. Thank you. Thanks so much, Raj, for having me. And to listeners, look forward for more conversations. If you have any guests or any other topics that you'd like to suggest, please reach out to us. 